the financial dads are not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, tax or other advice in or by virtue of this podcast. Hello, welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Doing really well. Uh, very busy here. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, family, finances, everything, but all in. Can't complain. Can't complain. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, uh, on my side, uh, the latest is vacation planning. So instead of trying to uh, book a hotel, uh, we jumped into the VRBO and Airbnb mm. uh, genre. Um, took a couple of days to find some places that were reasonable. Um, I could see that it's huge business now. Uh, <laughs> it's really big business, the way all this works. Uh, but we managed to secure a... Um, uh, an, an Airbnb reservation for the first week of August. So we're happy about that. Um, it's fascinating how this all works, right? Just like eBay years ago, it's like people just letting people live in their, in their houses. And it's just the whole dynamics changed uh, the way that you could travel, right? And I, I have a lot of friends that are doing Airbnb and um, they find it to be incredibly useful, especially like last minute deals and stuff like that. So I may start using it more in the future. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. I know uh, my sons, when they were traveling for their internships, wherever they were in the world, uh, one went to Croatia for two months, one went to Italy for two months when they were in school, and they used Airbnb, and that's what they how they're able to find a place for that duration. So it's pretty neat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, today's podcast is with Brad Baldridge. We will talk to Brad about college planning, advice on how to combat misinformation around college planning. Uh, but first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Um, this news story, Paul, was from the Greensboro News and Record. Uh, three reasons to expect less income from Social Security. Um, read through, it's a very short article. Um, and I think that it kind of talked about not only the, 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 the government side, but our side, right? They talk about you may be forced into an early retirement, which may impact your benefit when you take it. Uh, you may not keep earning the same wage you earn now, and benefit cuts could happen due to a revenue shortfall over time. I think we've heard about this over and over over the years, and we, we're going to continue to hear about this uh, in terms of Social Security. Is it stable? Is it not stable? I don't want to get into a heated debate on it. I think for me what I took away from the story, and they actually talk about it in there, is I remember I think it was the Boy Scout motto, just be prepared, right? So, you know, pretend that you don't have to – that you that you're not going to live off – on the social security, right? Just it's there as a bonus, but really you should be planning your retirement accordingly uh, and not factor in the social security. I know a lot of people have to factor it in. Um, I personally do as well, but I'm trying to make sure that there's other funds available for when I retire, uh, just in case there is a shortfall. Uh, Paul, what was your take on this story? Uh, so, somewhat very similar to you, Paul. You know, I look at it as a, a bonus. Uh, I don't really factor into my primary number because I'm not sure. I'm not sure I fully trust it'll be there. I'm sure it will be in a way. They'll just print money and cause more inflation for it to happen. But that's a separate topic. But overall, the article was okay. I felt like a little scare tactic with some of the wording there about, hey, why they may not have the money, whatever. But it, it's still worth the, um, the two, three-minute read for sure. Cool. Okay. Well, with that, we now uh, like to welcome to the podcast Brad Baldridge. 
Brad has worked with thousands of families to plan and save for college using strategies that have been proven to be smart and effective. Uh, he hosts Taming the High Cost of College, a top-charting podcast in the education space. He had recently appeared on many esteemed parent podcasts, such as Power Your Parenting, uh, Moms with Teens, Moms with of Tweens and Teens, Finding Your Village, Dad Up Podcast, and others. Uh, Brad focuses on helping families navigate their way towards financial aid, scholarships, student loans, and many other strategies. Uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for joining us today. Um, you know, fascinating topic. It's very timely for me. My 18-year-old is starting college in the fall. I'm right in the middle of all these different pieces. Um, thankful and grateful we have a lot of these things under control at the moment, but I still have a 12-year-old to follow him uh, in the next six years. So any and all advice for the future, I, I will happily take, and I'm sure my listeners, are, our listeners will as well. Um, Brad, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Uh, sure. I've been, uh, been a financial advisor for many, many years, since 95 or 96, I think it is. And in about 2005 or six, I started also getting involved in college planning. Um, and I focus on what I call late stage college planning, which is families that have teenagers and they're trying to figure it all out. So they're kind of there already, you know, similar to where you are, right? Maybe you're a little late. Um, but you know, sophomore, junior, senior in high school, where not only is it, well, maybe you should save and invest for college, but we're actually here and we gotta figure out testing and visits and negotiating with schools and when we get need-based aid and how does merit aid work and all the different pieces that go into planning and paying for college. And uh, it's getting more and more complex. And as I'm sure you're aware, and it's more and more expensive, so, it's just a you know an area where I can add a lot of value because most families don't quite understand how it all works, and if you can just get a little more efficient when you're spending that fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand, it can make a big difference. Yeah, it, it certainly can, right? And uh, I, maybe not in a current environment where inflation's sort of abnormal right now, abnormally high. But I seem to remember reading somewhere where the cost of the college outpaces inflation on average generally now so you've been doing this for a while is that something you've seen and whatnot or is that um yes sort of i mean misnomer? historically that's been yeah for sure historically that's been very true hmm. recently it's kind of true so there's a new uh, there's a concept out there which is the um, published price of college or the cost of attendance numbers versus the net cost or what you actually pay so a lot of colleges out there that list for 60 or 70 or 80, especially in the private sector, many families that are go there don't pay that much. They pay half that much or three quarters that much. So it might list for 80 and you pay 60 or list for 50 and you pay 35 or 30. Um, so what's happened is they continue to raise the top line number, the, the, the price that they publish. But many schools, in order to attract enough students, have realized that they can't get the students they need without also increasing the scholarships and all the other benefits. So the net cost is not growing nearly as fast as the published prices um, hmm. were anymore. But we've had, we did have, obviously, from the time that, you know, you guys look about my age, but you know, when we went to college, way back when you say, well, if I worked hard for the summer, I could cover, cover most of college. I mean, that's, you know, that's come and gone in, in spades, right? It's, 
show me a student that can raise 20 or $30,000 in a summer. And I'll show you a student that doesn't need to go to college. Um, <laughs> but the, uh, that's the challenge, right? Is the game has changed. So some, you know, that's first order of business for some families is it doesn't work the way it worked for parents. You know, when you went to school 20 or 30 years ago, you could work your way through school and do a few things like that, where today the typical college education, you know, for a number of factors is much more expensive. Part of it is it's worth it, or at least parents think it's worth it. And, we, you know, they raise the prices, we still come. So they raise the prices more, we still come. Why would they not raise the prices, right? That's the way the world works is and until, and we're there now, right? Where now some colleges are saying, oh, we can't keep raising prices for whatever reason we, you know, we're not getting enough students. So now they play the game of we raise prices and we raise the scholarship, which makes it much more opaque and much of, of a bigger challenge. And of course, they don't have to necessarily give this the same scholarship to everybody. So they can raise the price for everyone and give the scholarship to the students they really want. Yeah, that's um, so they can play some of those games. That's very interesting. I'd love to hear more about that. You're throwing out terms today that I, I don't think I've heard of, which is great. Like, you know, this whole art of negotiation for college, the net cost versus the public, you know, published prices. If I'm a parent and I need to plan for college, I mean, how do I even get started in this space? And wh where should I begin? Like kind of taking it back, like to, to, you know, to the first step. What are some of those first steps? um parents should look at and what should be the timing of it what's the ideal timing should they be looking from eighth grade on ninth grade on like yeah. in your opinion what right. does that look like right so there's i guess there's two pieces I, I mentioned i do what i call late stage planning which is you've got a high school student you're trying to figure it all out but college planning could start when you have a newborn or hey we're pregnant let's start saving for college that's a thing these days um and you can do that. You're still going to have to do late stage planning, whether you've saved a big pile of money for college or you've done nothing at all. When you get there as a sophomore, junior, senior, you're going to have to say, well, how do we pick a college? How do we apply to a college? You know, all that stuff is still going to have to be done. It's just a lot easier if you've got a big pile of money to help pay the bill. Um, and of course, that's not a reality for many families. Many families are saying, at young ages, we've got daycare, we've got all these other expenses that we, you know, college is important, but we don't see how to fit that in yet. So, um, so I think planning your life such that, well, if you think you're going to pay a lot of college expenses for your kids, just plan on having a smaller house or less cars or smaller vacations or whatever it is, then you would have had, had you not made that decision, right? It's, if you're going to keep up with the Joneses, on vacations, then maybe you can't keep up with the Joneses on college or whatever it might be. Um, so that's the first kind of order of business is it's a long-term decision or should be from a financial planning perspective of we're gonna pay for college, let's start saving now, or at least let's not tie ourselves in. Cause I see this all the time, right? Families have a pretty good income. You know, they earn 150, $200,000 and they say, well, we can't afford to save for college. And then the next person I see earns a hundred thousand and they're saving a thousand a month. Well, how, well, where's the disparity? And of course it's what I call the bigger garage theory. I don't care how big your garage is. It's always full. Cause you don't even think about throwing something out until the garage is full. Once the garage is full, now you have to prioritize, well, which toys do I keep? <clears throat> which toys have to go, et cetera. 
it's the same thing around family budget of if college is in and in there well then make sure you understand what that means and plan accordingly it's not unusual for me to work with a parent of a sophomore or junior and say well you've got a junior and a freshman and a sixth grader and we need about two thousand a month to make this plan work and some families will say oh okay that's great and other families will be oh my god you're crazy um but that's the kind of you know order of magnitude that we see is often is you know 300 a month 500 a month a thousand a month I think the highest one I've ever seen was 3,500 a month that people on a monthly basis were willing to save. And then of course, you know, some people have an inheritance or a lump sum of some sort. They're saying, well, you know, we've got this money. We can dedicate it to college. Um, whether they, you know, again, they raised it or earned it or saved it or inheritance or whatever. But I think that's kind of the first place to start is to realize that it, you know, it's a process. It's not something you're going to do all at once. It's not something you can say, well, I worked hard last Sunday, so now I'm done with my college planning. It's going to be, and Paul, you just mentioned that you've got a senior now. You know, let's flip it back on you. How much time did you spend visiting colleges, trying to figure out how to fill out the forms, the application process? I mean, was it, you know, one Sunday afternoon or many Sunday afternoons? And weekends and you know yeah i have to defer to my wife she did a lot of that of of the paperwork side right with the portals and stuff like that applying to colleges i i took responsibility around a lot of the visits so i did a lot of visiting with Mm -hmm. my son for the colleges but you know getting back to what you said earlier um you know there's no secret on this show i've talked about it because i think we've we've talked about college savings a couple of times in different podcasts um, I've always dollar cost averaged into the accounts. And to your point, um, I have, our family took a lot less vacations and a lot less stuff and a lot less house to accomplish, you know, trying to put the money away. Right. I had a friend of mine years ago mm-hmm. when I had this conversation before my son was born, I referred to him on the show as my financial superhero. He shall remain nameless. Uh, I went to college with us. Um, you know, he said, listen, your kids, you will be paying to go to college. Right. That that was the bottom line. Right. So don't think you're going to get your way out of it. You're in some way, shape or form. There's going to be some level of college expense that you're going to have to cover. So you might as well start saving for it. Right. So when my son was born that year, boom, we opened an account and each year we put a target amount in. So we worked backwards. So our budget was based on working backwards from that yearly total. Right. And over the years, we did try to keep up with that target number and and believe me it's not enough. it's it's definitely not enough but it definitely gives you something to kind of work towards um to your point you know Brad you said people are saving upwards of 3500 a month I, I i i don't know how they do that but i guess it all, right. so it's all ratioed and and how they live their lifestyle but um yeah so it's very interesting so i'm glad right. you asked me the question um i think i'm one of those listeners or one of those savers that has been saving since the kids were infants. But to your point, you're probably seeing a lot of families that they're like, we don't have any savings. We got to start now. And that's why, you know, that's part of that late stage planning. Right. Exactly. And that's where the 3,500 a month. And again, that was the highest I've seen Not you know, but that where they felt they could do it with some sort of monthly budget. But I've had many families say, well, you know, we're going to skip buying a new car. So there's 25,000 we can repurpose and we've got 500 a month and 
we already had saved 30,000 or whatever the numbers are. And between all of that, you know, I think we can get our two kids through the local state school. And that's our goal. And that works, right? So it, it doesn't have to be crazy expensive, but it can be. And if you're the, you know, and I've had many parents tell me if they can get into XYZ fancy school at $80,000 a year, I'm not willing to say no. So I guess I'm going to pay. Wow. And they're just okay with that. Not everybody. And again, you know, we don't, you know, I, it's not my job to tell people how to spend their money because the same person that says college is at 80,000 a year is a complete waste of money. We'll get on an airplane and fly to Vegas. And you know, I mean, it's a, right. Every, we all earn our money so that we can spend it. And if education is important to us, the fancy school is important. Great. If it's not, that's fine too. And, you know, there are opportunities out there for many. Um, the reality is that you're not going to get it to zero most of the time. I mean, occasionally, you, you know, run into that family that says essentially, oh, we got to find a whole bunch of scholarships because we we've done nothing. So we just need to find that magical scholarship bucket that's just going to take this problem away. Yep. And <clears throat> and I think that... That's clickbait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, understood. And and I think, you know, that kind of talks about, it leads into the question of what are some of these top strategies you recommend for saving and paying for college? Uh, you talked about negotiating. You talked about saving into plans. We talked about some of these other things. What what are your top strategies that you typically recommend? Right. <laughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, I think the challenge is there's literally hundreds more or more strategies that you could use is just finding the ones that are going to fit you. And that's why college planning gets to be so complex. Some families are going to qualify for lots of need-based aid and they need to make sure they don't mess that up by shifting income or assets or doing something where, you know, take money out of a 401k or something, explode their income and regret it. Other families, you're never going to get any sort of need-based aid. So you really need to focus on saving and investing and tax planning and, uh, you know, negotiating with schools, you know, there's six different types of, of broad categories of schools. And, you know, so like the elite schools are very generous, but you got to get accepted, which not many families can do. But if you can, you know, Harvard could be the low cost option on many people's list because they are so generous for people that need it. And they're just as ruthless for people that don't need it. Right. So if your family income is a half million or a million, they're going to immediately say, you can afford to pay full price, and you will. But my kid's a genius. Well, we don't care. Everybody here is a genius. And you don't have a need, and we don't offer any sort of merit aid. So it's either need-based aid or nothing at roughly 80 schools out there. Um, where, But they will also meet 100% of your needs. So that's a, like, as an example, that's a great opportunity of if I do this, it increases my need. Therefore, I should do that because I know this school will meet my need. Sometimes what happens, at, especially at like a local state school, they'll say, you know, based on what's going on, I need 10,000 of aid. And the state schools can say, unfortunately, we don't have 10,000. Here's a loan for 5,500 and a scholarship for 1,000. And then if that family worked hard and, you know, shifted their income and assets and now their need went from 10,000 to 15,000, the college would say, okay, well, same answer, right? You get here's the $5,500 loan and a $1,000 scholarship. That's all we've got. And 
so all that effort you did in the quote unquote need based aid planning wasn't you know didn't pay off because I have a lot of families say, well, this is going to count against me for financial aid. It's like, yeah, and your salary is going to count against you, and because just your salary, which you're not going to get aid, so it doesn't matter what you do with where your money is saved or whatever it is, because you're disqualified because you earn two hundred thousand and you're going to a local state school or whatever it might be, right? It just so don't worry about it. It's it's already water under the bridge. Other times, you know, and again, so that's another thing that I see a lot. So I've got an EFC calculator on my website where you can literally calculate your EFC and do some what if, and you know, what if I, you know, sold this $100,000 investment and paid off my mortgage? What, you know, there's tax consequences and other things involved, of course, and it would change your financial aid as far as what you submit on the forms, would it change the results? That's a different question, right? Because technically the investment is counted against you. And if you liquidated it, then it would, you wouldn't have to report it and it wouldn't be counted against you. But would it help? That's a different, you know, that's a much deeper question. Where That's where planning comes in and understanding the rules. Um, and like I said, there's a calculator there. You can run the one ifs and get a feel for how need-based data is calculated. Really, really interesting. Thank you. I, I got to go play with the calculator. So uh, our listeners know this. Both my kids are done with uh, undergrad already. So woohoo, that's done. My, my younger one just graduated a couple months ago or a month or so ago, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. Little, little interesting question slash story on that. Freshman year is a very small school. They actually went to the same school, very small. And they always asked, or they said, you know, well, except for the person in the room, the student who is listed as financially independent, meaning they sort of sever, I guess maybe that's a severing of the relationship between the parent and the child to, is that to protect the assets so the child can qualify for more aid? Is that something? Have you ever heard that? Or is that just something I heard and I have no idea why they said that? Right. So... Right. So when you fill out financial aid for the typical 18-year-old that rolls out of high school and goes to college, they're required to report mom and dad's income and assets. If you're going back to school as a 40-year-old, you're not required to fill out mom and dad's income and assets. That's not relevant anymore. So, but of course, a 40-year-old would typically have their own income and assets to report. So the concept is if you can be independent of your parents, then there's less to report. So in order to be considered independent, you need to be 24 or older. You need to be separated from active military service, married, have dependents of your own, um, be part of a federally funded runaway program. Okay, so there was someone who was, I think, over 24 in that year. So maybe that's it. Right. If you're, right, adoption comes into play there sometimes because your biological parents aren't, you know, aren't involved or so, so there's, if you're adopted after age 13, I think it is, then you're automatically independent. Um, so there's a lot of, and if you can be independent, that's fantastic, obviously, because most of the time it is your, it is mom and dad's income and assets that impact things, right? Technically it's the biggest factors for financial aid are the income and assets of mom and dad the income and assets of the student, and then if the parents are supporting one or multiple students, those have the biggest impact. Okay. 
there's a lot of other minor things like how old the parents are and whether you're both working that have you know minor impact but those are the big ones great the reality is for most students their income and assets are zero unless maybe you've been doing some sort of planning or games where maybe grandpa decided to give you know 200 shares of google stock to his grandson when he was seven um, and i had that situation where again that happened where grandpa did give a, a stock it was highly appreciated and now an asset in the student's name hurts more than an asset in the parent's name as an example so we wanted to liquidate that well when you liquidate appreciated stock now you have income for the student income of the student is also bad luckily we were caught it early enough that we got it all done sophomore year so it didn't show up on the financial aid forms oh, wow. so we were able to sell the stock you know pay the taxes reinvest the money more appropriately and then it was not reported as income or asset for the student, but it, a portion, and then we used it to pay for some private high school. Um, so most of the money went away, but what was left was a parent asset. Um, so again, sometimes it makes sense to do that. Another example, I had a grandmother pass away and left about 250,000 to grandson for college. Well, that grandson went to Northwestern, which is an expensive private school. And then the financial aid forms, they said, we've got $250,000 in a trust for college. Well, when Northwestern saw that, guess how much they spent on oh. college? $250,000, right? Had they left that money to mom and said, you know, use this for college if you want, you know, but didn't have it, any strings tied to it, they would have gotten much more aid because mom wasn't a real high earner. So they would have gotten quite a bit of financial aid, even though mom had the assets and it probably would have saved them about a hundred thousand dollars. But grandma didn't know what grandma didn't know. And, you know, and again, it was water under the bridge. There wasn't much we could do once, once it happened. Cause again, it was earmarked for college and there's no easy way to unwind it, especially after, the college already knew about. Yeah, it, it sounds a little bit like uh, the asset protection, right? Like Medicaid protection. I've heard that with with re, you know with people with parents that want to leave stuff to their kids. It sounds like along the same lines. You really, you know, if you have significant assets that are floating around in the family ecosystem, you really need someone like yourself to kind of look at the whole picture to try to determine what the best course of action is, right? To to um avoid making those mistakes, right? I, I think that's what it sounds right. like. And and one of the things, just to switch gears a bit, you say one of the biggest surprises for many parents is the price of college isn't what they see on the school websites. And you talked about this, you know, along, you know, I think I wrote it down around, you know, the net cost versus the public, you know, the published prices. And I think it's kind of a twofold question. One, what price should parents actually expect to pay? And number two, what is that art of negotiation? Because I'm curious as to, is it pitting one school against the other? Like, how do you make that case? Is it really all aid-based or is there some level of negotiation one-on-one -on -one between yourself and the school? I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Right. Okay. So two kind of unrelated questions. So first of all, what you should pay there's a lot of variability. So here in my neck of the woods, we've got a you know Marquette University. Their target market is you know above average students, pretty strong students, and they know that these students can get into University of Wisconsin Madison. 
which is a top 50 flagship state school, and it happens to be a pretty strong school. So they know they don't have a lot of leverage over kids that can get accepted there. So a lot of cases, they're going to be within striking distance of Madison for kids that they know can get into Madison because mom and dad are going to say, well, that's a stronger school at a much better price. Why would we send you to Marquette? And they, you know, so they know that game. Now you get a kid that can't get accepted there. And another market they have is the doctors and lawyers that have kids that aren't very strong who now their choice is to go to the state school that most people have never heard of, not Madison, or Marquette. And now Marquette is saying, but we're 65,000, but we'll give you a 20,000 off. And now we're 45 and dad earns enough money to say, well, if I spend 45, I get to say he's going to Marquette. If I don't, then I get to say he's going to the University of Wisconsin, you know, backwoods or whatever. I don't want to pick on any particular school because, um, but you get the point, right? Of, And I've got the money and I've saved the money or whatever it is and I can afford to do it. So I will. Um, so understanding that is, okay, well, what, you know, so when you say, well, how much should you pay for Marquette? Well, that's, there's the first question, right? How strong is the student? And what are your other options? Um, and will Marquette negotiate? Some, they know where the competition is. It's hard to know for certain. Uh, certainly other schools will negotiate. Marquette's not known for that, but I've had parents tell me that, you know, I talked with the financial aid office and at the end of the conversation, they essentially said, you know, if this these numbers don't quite make it happen, let us know and we'll see what we can do. Well, if that isn't, hey, let's negotiate, I don't know what is, right? I mean, it's obvious that whatever they offered was wasn't their best offer. So either your immediate response is, hey, this isn't good enough. <laughs> Can you do better? They just told us, told us where they could do better. Well, you know, so, um, but again, it has a lot to do with the prestige of the school, right? Harvard doesn't negotiate. Madison doesn't negotiate. It's take it or leave it. You know, you're lucky we'll take you, not, and you'll pay whatever we say you're going to pay. You don't like it next. Because we have many, many applicants for every spot. Versus when you go down the pecking order to the school that's 120th on the list, they don't have, you know, Harvard accepts, you know, five or 6% of their applicants or something. Some schools accept 90% of their applicants. And Harvard, when they accept you, they 50% or something like that show up, right? So anybody that they accept is excited to go and lots of them go if you can get accepted. Some schools, they have to accept 10 or 12 students to get one spot filled um, because they're one of 10 schools on the list or five schools on the list for that student. And they're not the top choice, potentially, but maybe if the price is right, they're, you know, so getting to the negotiation side of it, you know, what should you pay? Well, one strategy as an example is to apply to similar schools, right? So if you like, Loyola in Chicago, well, find a Loyola-like school in St. Louis and Marquette in Milwaukee and, you know, St. Louis University and uh, University of Denver and, you know, Tampa, University of Tampa, University of Miami, or, you know, all these schools that are kind of similar and see where the numbers come in. And if you really want to go to one of them, but they're 
may cost more than the rest, go back and ask them. Say, you know, you don't seem like, you know, your scholarship's a little low or your benefit, you know, your net price is a little high or whatever it is. So, you know, you know, again, maybe even the student goes in there, right? Student goes in there and says, I love your school. I really want to come here. But dad, he's just really making my life obnoxious. He's saying he's not willing to pay the extra 8,000 to come here. So can you help me raise that $8,000? Are there loans? Are there, is there work I can get? What is there? Sometimes they might say, well, no, we don't have loans. We don't have work, but here's an $8,000 scholarship. Or they might say, well, here's a $4,000 scholarship or whatever it is, right? And whatever it is that it is, right? Now it's better than it was. And that happens, you know, pretty regularly where sometimes it's a matter of, well, we fill all the financial aid forms wrong. So I accidentally put a million dollar 401k in the investment line instead of the retirement line. And now you think I've got a million dollars laying around for college when I, what I really have is a million dollars in my retirement. And so when we fix that, all of a sudden mm. the numbers look better. Um, so sometimes that was what's going on. So you need to work with the financial aid office. Generally speaking, it's also, you know, you're not really negotiating. It's not my lawyer and your lawyer are going to duke this out. It's, can you help me, right? The financial aid office is there to help. You know, can you help me figure this out? I love the school, but I don't love the price kind of attitude. Not, you know, my lawyer is going to beat up your lawyer and, you know, I think this we're going to figure this out. And, you know, I, the, the type A dad in there. College is really. I, I like that. the wording you use there. You know, um, I, I like the school, but can you help me out? Just a very open-ended. I kind of want to come. I need help. I like that. Right. I like that. Right. And right. And college has become big business. So the another you know, new concept out there is what's called enrollment management, where colleges all the time are struggling with all the politics around. You know, we're not accepting the right students. We're discriminating on this group or that group, or we're not doing this right or that right. And we can't make everybody, you know, and it's like taxes being fair, right? Nobody had, you can't, they can't be fair because everybody has a different opinion of what fair means. So when Harvard gets thrown under the bus because they're not admitting enough Asians or too many Asians or they're not being fair or whatever it is, and they just can't win. Um, but they try. And part of the challenge that they're working with is, most colleges need enough tuba players to run the bands and the orchestras and they need enough athletes to field the teams and they need enough leaders and followers and they've got you know they got to fill the history department with majors and they need this many nurses and you know all of a sudden they're not necessarily taking the most qualified student per se they're taking the most qualified nursing student that can play the tuba and you don't even know that um but you might have the upper hand. Yeah. Because you I was going to say, if you're that nurse who plays the tuba, you're golden, right? So, yeah, learning a lot tonight, right? Wish I had talked to – I wish we had you as a guest uh, last year. <laughs> it would have been a lot help, more helpful. Uh, but, no, this is all good stuff for the listeners, right? We have a young audience that um, – with, with young kids, so they should be looking at this for the future. All these terms around net cost and published prices and enrollment management – all great stuff and this whole art of negotiation or, you know, as you put it, can you help me, right? It's really not a negotiation, but can you help me? Um, 
I think many parents worry about paying for college will wipe out or delay their retirement. How can families balance paying for college and saving for retirement at the same time? Yes, the eternal question. So if you're lucky, you do the math and you say, well, I need $1,000 a month for retirement and another $1,000 a month for college. And lo and behold, $2,000 is easily in the budget. If you're unlucky, then it's, well, I need a thousand for each, but I only have a thousand for the both. And now is it, well, I do, I do half season, 500 to each, or am I going to delay my retirement? You know, and that, there's no simple magical answer there. It boils all back to the, maybe I shouldn't have bought the most expensive house I could possibly find that they would let me qualify for because I've got other goals besides the house and I'm realizing that all my money's going into the house. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I see as an advisor working with parents of 17 year olds that say, my number one goal is college and my number two goal is retirement. And then where's all your money going? Everywhere except retirement and college. So, and that's, you know, and again, we, we all want the best for our kids. And, you know, so sometimes it's, you know, I'm spending 12000 a year on baseballs, coaches and traveling teams and all that other stuff. And sometimes that, you know, rarely, but sometimes that will pay off with a baseball scholarship. Most of the time it will just have a kid that likes baseball and enjoyed their life. And you're still going to pay the same price for college um, than if he wasn't a baseball player. And many spots in between, you know, sometimes the baseball will get you in a door. No, I'm not saying sports are bad, but you need to put them in their proper place with everything else, right? And we can replace baseball with family vacations or a lake home or pass cars or whatever, you know, whatever it is. But that's that's the reality is that we've only got so much to allocate. But if we can allocate more efficiently, once again, I think I see a lot of families where they're just not being very efficient, right? You've had those discussions where you hear about someone that's paying 23% on a credit card and they have good credit. They just, for whatever reason, don't spend the time to say, you know, I could get a home equity line of credit and transfer that from 22% to 4%. For whatever reason, I just don't, you know, okay, well, then, you know, if you get someone that would help you do that or do it yourself or understand the game, because I think of that, you know, so we see that a lot where, Sometimes where I'm helping is it's general financial planning of let's build a budget and spend money on what's important to you. And then we realize, oh, well, here's a thousand a month that we're spending on all these subscriptions, the stuff we don't, you know, we, we pay for cable TV. Do your kids watch cable TV? No, they watch Netflix and whatever. Okay. Do you watch cable TV? No. Well, then why are we spending $200 a month on something that nobody watches? Or if we get this kind of life insurance instead of that kind of life insurance, it saves us $400 a month. We still have the same coverage or better coverage, but you know, then there's obviously always ups and downs. But is that a better decision to than trying to pull 400 out of our retirement plan, where we're already underfunded there? You know, so that's you know, again, then that's the challenge. Where what's happened at just about every income level is they've raised the prices for college, and we still came. So they raised the prices again, and we still came. They raised the prices to the point where it hurt so much that they couldn't raise the prices because we stopped coming. And they've done that at every income level, right? So if your income's 50,000 and 
net college is 10,000, it hurts a lot. Your income's 300,000, net college is 45,000, and it hurts a lot. Well, why? Well, that's, again, they've kind of figured out where, where the limit is, and they stopped when they got to the limit. And, you know, so that's part of the process of they could raise prices, so they did, and then they didn't have to cut staff, or they didn't have to figure out how to be more efficient. Because, again, education is one of those weird things where efficiency doesn't sound good, right? Mm -hmm. if, if a factory said, well, we had a thousand workers and we made 2,000 widgets 20 years ago, but now we've got 50 workers and we make 10,000 widgets, look how efficient we are. That's fantastic. But you imagine a college that says, you know, we, we doubled our classes. We've got twice as many students and we've got one third the professors. We're really efficient. And it's like, no, that doesn't sound right, right? We want personal attention, but personal attention is very expensive. And that's one of the challenges in education and healthcare, right? We don't want one nurse taking care of 75 patients. That would be more efficient, keep the cost down, but we're willing to pay to not be efficient. When it's our family that's sick, uh, we don't want that. We want that for other people's families. Um, so there's that catch 22 around college of we want the best. We just are upset when the best costs a lot of money. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does, right? And uh, okay. good, um, good analogy there. And is uh, I have a little antidote, right? When my, especially my younger one, was applying to schools, he applied across the board, all same type of school. They were engineering schools. And one was an out-of-state state school, so not a local state school, and then some other private institutions. And when you look at the amount of money he was given scholarship-wise across them, they were all within maybe $5,000 a year. So they, they really have it figured out. They obviously mm -hmm. looked at our incomes and everything and his grades and such, and he they were all so close. It, it, it then became kind of like, what do you want to do? Right, because, you know, right. $5,000, yes, it's a lot, but it, it, it's not going to personally for me change my life. It's what's best suited for him clearly at that point. And then us. Right, exactly. And that's, that's an ideal situation, right, where either the schools you like the most are the low cost, or at least they're all within striking distance of each other. Occasionally what happens, though, is, the schools we really love are 50. The schools we don't like as much are 25. Now we've got that tough call of, was it worth spending an extra 25,000 a year or $100,000 all told just to go to the school we like? You know, Do I like it $100,000 more or do I like it $5,000 more? And since it's so mm -hmm. drastically different, exactly. You know, maybe I don't like it anymore. And that's, and it's a very emotional decision for many families. So it's hard for, you know, it's hard for the typical father to tell their daughter, no, when, you know, that's not reasonable in the heat of the moment when, again, because if you haven't done planning, you don't know what's coming. So you get to the very end of this process and all of a sudden it's surprise. The schools that we both, we all fell in love with and we really love it is $30,000 a year more than our second choice school. And now do we pull the rug and say, well, I guess now we have to say no. It'd be a lot different if you went into it with your eyes open, knowing what it was going to cost. And you could say at the onset, you know, it's, this school is likely to be substantially more expensive than the others. We can still apply, but that doesn't mean we're going to go. If the numbers don't come in, 
then we're, you're not going. Are you okay with that? And if you can have that rational conversation, and I've had parents say, we're not even going to apply because I know she'll say fine, but when we get to the end, she'll, you know, she'll fight and I'll cave and we'll end up paying anyway. So we're better <laughs> to just not even put it on the list. Um, so, you know, there's many different ways to, to deal with this, but um, I, mean, I forgot to mention when you said, well, what's a fair price? On my website, there's cost of colleges by state where we have most of the popular state and pub, you know, public and private schools in that state. And the net cost, the average net cost based on income. So if your income is between 75 and 110, you know, you could look up and say, well, you know, this state school is net cost is 18 and that state school's net cost. 21 and this private school is 45 and this private so, school. So question on that. I was 22. looking at that a little so, while ago. I went and picked a couple states of where I knew schools and I saw that. Like, How did you figure that out? Is that just like, it's probably not generally publicly posted anywhere on the school site or is it? Because I was looking like. Uh, right. It is right. It's, ah. it's federal data. So the, when as part of financial aid, you know, the college, the, any college that accepts financial aid, which is essentially all colleges, now the federal government has some leverage and they say, well, we're going to start collecting all these statistics and you're required to report them. So, and then the government puts them out there, it makes them available. And um, I've got a little, you know, I spent a lot of time digging through those statistics to find the data and it's great. organize it's it great. in a fashion. So that I love that it was great. I can share it up. So I, I do have, right. um, I think I have, I have one final question for you, or maybe it's a two for you at the same time. It's a slightly switch of the topic. We talk a lot about college and finance. That was a nice topic and it was great. Uh, I learned some stuff, some stuff I kind of wish I knew years ago, but hopefully others will learn from it. I guess the, so, so where we're at is, right. is a question we like to ask all of our guests actually. What would you say is your biggest financial mistake you've made and what's the single best piece of advice you have received? So biggest mistake and yeah, biggest mistake and the best piece of advice. It's a tough one sometimes. The most that will work. boneheaded mistake I've ever made is I drove a, right. I, I drove my van until it was completely out of oil and had to replace the engine. Um, it was at a crazy time in my life and I had just had it in for service and I taught, called the called the service place and they said, Oh well, yeah, that tends to happen. Blah, blah, blah. They gave me an excuse that I could buy. So then I drove it to Florida and back and by you know, because again, I had vacation. I was really busy trying to get off to this vacation. They gave me an excuse as a way to ignore the oil light. So I did. And by the time I got it back, they're like, oh, you know, you just destroyed the engine. That's why it's running so bad. You should have, you know, paid attention to that oil light. It's like, well, you told me that, that oil light was. But again, the reality of it is a simple open the hood, check the oil would have solved the problem. So I really can't blame them. But yeah. So there, an embarrassing, stupid thing that I've done. And what in my about past. the best, best piece of advice you've ever received? The other half. Oof. Uh, yeah. Um, 
this too shall pass. Okay. Um, right. I mean, some things seem really important at the in the heat of the moment, and sometimes if you just give it a little space, it becomes less and less important. You know, like burning <laughs> up an engine. You know, this too shall pass. <laughs> this, you know, the you know, you know, it's less painful, and you can talk yes, about it. Yes, and now thousands of people will hear that story. It is what it is. Very cool. Very cool. Well, there you this go. is where we usually, you know, end the show. We go into a summary recap. And, and, and Brad, you know, it's it's amazing because I think today um, I expected to talk more about investments and stuff like that. But this is actually amazing. We, we, we kind of went through the whole podcast without really talking about the mechanics of 529s and all these things. And it was really fascinating learning about these topics around negotiation, net cost, published prices, enrollment management, all these things behind the scenes. And then, you know, from a financial aid perspective, what what impacts financial aid? What doesn't? So thank you for all that. There were so many things that I took away um, was pretty amazing. I, I'll let Paul go next and we'll let you have the last word. Yeah, thank you. I, I like the way you worded it, okay. you know, talking with the financial aid office, you know, can you help me? I mean, that's just such a, a simple kind of open, honest way, generally like, hey, I really want to come. Can you help me? Uh, so I, I think that was great. And mm -hmm. I, I think you reaffirmed some of what I've thought and seen over the years. And it's all um, a numbers game, right? They're, they're playing the numbers of acceptance. They pit kids against each other, quite frankly, to make their stats look good as the number they accepted or rejected. And it, it's all, they're all other than maybe the top echelon of schools, they're probably all fighting for a lot of the same kids and it's marketing. So, yeah. So, and prioritize, prioritize and use your money and funds efficiently and wisely. There we go. That's, I'll stop there, Paul. Very cool. Very cool. So Brad, we'll let you have the last word. Where could people find you? Any final takeaways before we end the podcast? Right. So, yeah. So, Obviously, we've talked about a number of things. I've got a lot of great free resources at my website, tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. So we've mentioned the EFC calculator and the net price of colleges by state. So you can go look up some preliminary numbers. That's useful for negotiation. That's also useful for when you're just getting started to, well, what is a realistic college budget? What, you know, what are we up against? The published price is what we're going to pay. What is the average net price at a school? But there's also a scholarship guide for busy parents, for people that want to learn about need-based scholarship, merit scholarships, private scholarships, all the different, you know, again, people use the generic word scholarship, and it means different things in different contexts. So another thing that people need to understand and learn about. Um, there's obviously a podcast there with 150 episodes uh, where I interview experts all you know, all different walks of college planning from gap year specialists and you know test prep and how to save and invest and i've got a series where i work with someone where we talk about the admission process and you know kind of a, it's a really good 10 podcast episode where we kind of take what we did in an hour but we cover it for 10 hours where we you know talk about you know, this is what the application process looks like. This is what need-based aid looks like. This is what, you know, so that's a great opportunity for families to start absorbing some of the stuff that you're going to need to learn. And you can do it while you're driving or 
exercising or however it is that you do podcasts, which, you know, I, me personally, I've learned a ton of stuff both professionally and just because I'm curious or whatever, right? You know, it's an entertainment or whatever, but I can't, you know, I haven't turned the radio on in my car in five years once I discovered podcasting, 10 years probably now, because, you know, I'd much rather listen to what I picked out than, you know, and, and learn what I need to learn or be entertained with what's entertaining to me. Um, so I think that's a huge thing where, and it's also important that families understand this is a process. You're not going to figure it all out, you know, one day, you know, oh, we've got a junior now, let's sit down and do our college plan. It's going to be a process of, well, let's visit some schools and let's figure out some preliminary net prices and let's go run the financial aid calculator. Let's look, you know, let's look at the schools that we're interested in on the net price form and see what they actually cost. And then we'll take all this and we'll mince it around and then we'll discover we don't like those schools. So then we'll come up with a new list of schools or we'll say, oh, but this school requires these kind of grades and fantastic test scores. So we're probably not going to get into that school. So maybe we got to, you know, so that it's a, it's a process that starts ideally early sophomore year, not late junior year, if you get to pick. Um, and it's a process that, you know, we can help you through. I've got, you know, a number of resources. We've got a course, we've got different ways that you can get some help. We don't have to start from square one and try and figure it out all on your own. We've got some resources that will give you, a, you know, I call it college planning jumpstart to give you, you know, and that's what it is, right? It's going to give you some of the basics, teach you the lingo, show you where the resources are, you know, give you some calculators and some spreadsheets that are already formatted in a way that might make some sense. Very cool. No, I, I encourage our listeners to, to definitely check you out, right? Because we, we want to make sure people are talking to the deeper subject matter experts, right? Paul and I typically scratch the surface on a lot of these different things, but it's nice to talk to you and, and kind of dig deep and, and, and you know your craft, right? You you had, you had everything kind of on point in terms of your knowledge of the schools and, and just kind of rattling them off. So it was very natural. <laughs> so um, I really do think that people will benefit mm -hmm. by, uh, dare I say, checking out another podcast other than Financial Dad. You definitely want to check out Brad's podcast, um, especially if your kid's going to college um, anytime soon or even uh, early stage, right? Your kid's in grammar school, preschool, uh, you're expecting it's never too early to start, right, Brad? I, I guess it's uh, or never too late to start. I forget what's the one. What am I probably confusing the terms? But just go start. I think that's the case. So, uh, thanks for being on the podcast today, Brad. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, we have a favor to ask. We'd like to ask our listeners. Uh, please go to YouTube and search for Financial Dads, and please subscribe to our channel. We really would appreciate it. Uh, well, Paul and Brad, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward, hopefully, to a, another one with you, Brad, which would be very cool. Um, awesome. Uh, thanks yes, everyone for downloading our well. podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So this, so with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the financial dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.